0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor podcast with me, your host, uh, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I'm very excited to announce our guest today, uh, ex-teammate of mine as uh, a Toronto Maple Leaf, Dominic Moore. He's an NHL veteran of nearly 1,000 NHL games when you include his uh, playoff resume. He's a Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy winner, which best exemplifies qualities of perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to hockey. He has played for an extensive list of teams, always proving himself uh, to be a playoff asset uh, throughout his career, which which led to many of his moves. The list includes the New York Rangers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Minnesota Wild, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Buffalo Sabres, the Florida Panthers, the Montreal Canadiens, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the San Jose Sharks, the New York Rangers again, the Boston Bruins, and the Toronto Maple Leafs again, finally ending his career over in Switzerland, uh, which we talk about at the end of this podcast with the ZSC Lions. He is also the creator of Smash Fest, an annual ping pong uh, themed charity event uh, hosted at, it, it's usually at the Steam Whistle Brewery. I was able to go one year uh, in Toronto before uh, we played to play together. And he is also uh, a graduate from Harvard, which uh, not a big deal. So he's clearly um, an exceptional individual, uh, a relentless competitor, a teammate that I relied on uh, to learn a lot from. We spent more time, I think in his last year in the NHL and, and during my time with the Leafs uh, bag skating together, but a lot to learn uh, from Dominic Moore. He, he's an incredible individual with an incredible career uh, and he's on the other side of it now and, and is able to talk about it from a, a place of hindsight. So thank you for joining us today, wherever you are in the world. Uh, let's do this. Dom, first off, you know, uh, thanks for deciding to come on because for whatever reason, you know, the hockey guys tend to be a little stubborn and, and hard to get on. You know, you've uh, moved on. You've, you had a career of you know nearly a thousand NHL games when you add up all the all the playoff games, all the trades, all the you know ups and downs of your career. Um, you know, I got I got I had a ton of respect uh, when you first. Uh, sign with the Leafs, I remember I was super excited just because I'd always appreciated your game. Like I, I think, just particularly, I remember in in uh, you know your years with the Rangers where you guys had some really deep runs. Like I just remember watching. As I can't remember if I was a young pro or or still just a draft pick at that time, but like elite detail, cutting off the top, like a, a strong ability to knock pucks down, relentless down the ice, um, and you did you know, such a good job of it. And I, I, you know, knew the story of, you know, how you were, uh, you know, the Bill Masterton uh, Memorial trophy winner, you know, I don't know know if winner is the right word. It's definitely a lot to go through um, to achieve that award, but um, your respect from the moment I knew you were Toronto Maple Leaf was immediate on from my end because I hadn't accomplished anything in this game, you know, just yet. And we first sort of met over your uh you're probably your most, you know, famous baby now, right now in, in Smash Fest. Like I couldn't wait <laughs> to go. And I couldn't believe when we showed up, when I showed up. Is it still at Steam Whistle? Uh, yes. when you're when you're back. So we'll talk about that. But yeah. um what an what an event Smash Fest is. And you know, I, I think a a good place to start would be of all the, I won't list off, I, I'll, I'll do it in the introduction, uh, but I won't list off everywhere you played, but Please don't. whether it was, yeah, <laughs> well, we, well, yeah, we, we usually record an hour, how so it'll take up, we we'll only have like 30 <laughs> minutes left to talk, but you know, you're definitely someone when I think I've been through a lot in my career, uh, it's very humbling when I remember, you know, all that you've excelled through. So, you know, sort of the initial question I wanted to start off with was how did you excel? in the face that all your, you know, career, uh, had to offer because on one hand playing for a lot of teams and the different trades can take an emotional toll. It's a lot, but it also means you were highly valued come playoff time. And that's a special compliment in there where it spoke to your versatility. So how, you know, and we were talking about in the pre-show, you showed up first on the, uh, for the podcast today. Like I just consider you a consummate professional every day. And I was with you all the way through what would have been your, you know, what is your last year in the NHL? And there was no flickering of the work ethic uh, day in, day out. Didn't matter what we were doing, you wanted to win. Um, how did you build that resolve either growing up or earlier in your career before we met?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, so first of all, I, I, I want to touch on what you talked about originally, which is the first time we came into contact with each other. And uh, you made just as strong as an impression as you're describing. I have, you know, Eric Epstein uh, from the NHLPA who, who helps me put together Smashfest. Um, he had reached out to, to invite you to the event. And uh, you were, you know, I had just joined the Leafs and uh, you were a young guy. Uh, still making his way into the into the league and you immediately replied with, you know, enthusiasm and excitement and actually asked if if and how you could make a donation. And and Eric, you know, kind of relayed that message to me and and I was like blown away by the, you know, the generosity, blown away by the maturity, um and enthusiasm. And I, you know, I I couldn't wait to meet you uh in person and uh, you know, obviously all those attributes uh, you know, yeah, it came more to the fore the more I met you. So, uh, you know, just wanted to relay that and 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 kudos to you, also on this project that you've endeavored on. I think, uh, you know, starting your own podcast was a was a bold thing to do in a, in a culture that isn't always um, as receptive to putting yourself out there. Um, but I think also the genuineness of which you go about your business and the the kind of personality you are has helped. Uh, make this really well received and and a positive thing Uh, and you have the support of your teammates and those who know you and uh, I think you're you know only growing that support by being yourself so uh, great job Um, in terms of your first question um, it's a tough one to put in a nutshell Um, I think You know, growing up as the youngest um, of, you know, a competitive house of three brothers makes you pretty resilient. Um, You know, we used to play tackle football on the pavement of our street in front of the house. And, uh, you know, I was always the smallest. And and so you kind of learn to not take no for an answer. And, you know, that's the only way to survive. So there's that element of development there. Um, I think just always, always been a competitive person, no matter what, what activity I'm in, whether it's, uh, you know, nerdy pursuits like Scrabble or, uh, you know, the, the, the highest levels of, of hockey, it, it's pretty much the same. Um, you know, and I think there's always been a, an understanding that adversity is what builds character. Um, at the end of the day, you want adversity. Um, if you want to grow as a person, um, You've had your fair share, and I think you're you're seeing that it ma- it makes you stronger. Obviously, it's what you it's how you respond. Uh, you know, everyone will face adversity. It's 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 how you respond to it that actually is the is the building part. Um, and so, in terms of my career, I, I would have loved to have been drafted and stayed with one team my entire career. That's the, that's the personality I have. I, you know, in terms of uh, making friends and, and getting to know teammates. I think, um, you know, sometimes it takes me a while to kind of get into that kind of trust tree. Um, you know, you break through the the superficial and, and get to know guys on a deeper level. And so actually it was, um, it was harder for me to kind of go, you know, on a yearly basis at the deadline to a different team and try to start from scratch. So I wouldn't have uh, chosen that path, but... Um, you know, looking back on it, uh, I'm also very grateful for all the opportunities to meet the different personalities and teammates that I did along the way. And, um, you know, at a certain point, I, I knew at least three guys literally on every team in the league. Um, and that's that's a positive thing. And that's, a you know, something I'm grateful for. So, um, yeah, those are that's a kind of a, a beginning of an answer. But it's a, obviously a, a complex question.
0: Well, that. You know, what I think it's really cool about your answer is, you know, you're, you're not just slapping uh, positivity on all your problems. Like you're not ignoring the difficulty. There is difficulty socially. You know, when you get traded, I, I've gone through it. I'm a bit of a nerd. Like I'm an odd guy. I want the equipment guys to like me. You know, I know I can drive them nuts sometimes when I'm you know, ask them to change steel profiles and, you know, I don't like this stick. And so they give me the same one. And I'm like, yeah, that's the right one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I uh and and it was, I think positivity for me, similar to you, and, and kind of how you phrase it there, is not being ignorant or or pretending the negative doesn't exist, but acknowledging it's there and then on the other side of the coin, choosing to see, you know, what's good about this. You know, like of all the guys I've played with, I think you had, and I, I think you'll nod to John Michael Isles if I got this right. Um, you have, you know, one of the best restaurant recommendation books that I've ever played with on the road in terms of where to go to eat. You know, and part of that's because you were around a long time, but you also called a lot of places home. So it's like <laughs> there is this. Very obviously, a negative side. I wanted to have Nick Lidstrom's career. You wanted to have Nick Lidstrom's career drafted, play for 86 years on the same team, make the playoffs every season, win a couple of cups. But it's not, hockey's a tough game, it's a tough business. And I, uh, you know, I have a lot of appreciation for the way that you acknowledge the negative. Like there's a sense of realism there. Um, And then choosing to pursue and pay attention to the positive, really.
1: Yeah. First of all, I got to give full credit to John Michael Lyles. He is the master of restaurant recommendations. The guy. One of
0: my, one of my favorite D-men growing, like I used to, uh, that was my exercise as a kid to cut you off. Sorry. I used to, uh, like, okay, you know how, uh, I don't know if this, if you'll relate to this, but we both played in Toronto, you longer than I did. Um, but one of the things that like Canadians do when you're talking about somebody, you say it's an actor or a chef to be like, he's, he's a Canadian actually. Did you know that? <laughs> right. Cause you know, they're proud of, well, that's how Americans go through hockey. I'd be like, Oh, but he's an American. So like I was a huge John Michael Isles fan, you know, because I would uh, just sit there, you know, watching a game on TV with my computer, with my laptop and if there was a player like under six feet tall, I'd like Google where'd they play. You know, it, where, oh, I went to Shattuck. He played at Michigan State, and uh, no, it's you know, very John Michael Lyles playing as long as he did was a I was a big fan of his.
1: It's very true. You've you've you put that perfectly. Uh, obviously, the Canadians uh, all know, you know, the Celine Dion's and the Michael Bublé's of you know, and and like to claim them. Um, and it gets annoying. I think obviously to Americans. <laughs> as a Canadian, though, I'm one of the people that do that but it's obviously the reverse in, in the sport of hockey. So, uh, but yeah, John Michael Isles definitely, uh, uh, he had it down, you know, he found some of the best gems hole in the wall places, uh, that we would go. And, and, uh, it was a lot of fun to, to spend a year with him in Boston and, and, uh, pick up on some of these, uh, secrets. But, uh, in terms of your, you know, your other question about acknowledging, you know, the, acknowledging your reali- you know, realism and things like that. I think, yeah, I mean, I think I've always felt like optimism is, an, is a, you know, unbelievable quality to have uh, as a person, but that doesn't mean that you're, bl- you're blind. You know, I mm. think optimism is empowered when you recognize uh, the, the situation uh, and assess it accurately. And when you talk about personal growth, which I know is, is a big part of your message here with, with what you're doing with the podcast, I think personal growth comes from awareness, uh, self-awareness, awareness of um, environment, awareness of your situation. And uh, that's part of where that, that realism comes in. You have to kind of see things for what they are in order to learn how to deal with them. Um, and if you don't acknowledge problems uh, I guess you can't expect to fix them or you can't expect to face challenges uh, if you don't you know look at it that way
0: yeah I like that I like that Um, so when you think back to your career because I I look up to you in a lot of ways I think there's great value in number one talking to players who've been where you want to go I mean a thousand games is a number that uh, keeps me up at night. Like it, it gives me butterflies when I'm able to think of, uh, being able to stay in the league that long. Um, but what drove you year in and year out? So when, so when I think of myself, there's like certain words that I, you know, ascribe to, I, I consider myself very, uh, curious person. Um, I consider myself, uh, very competitive. Those are two great, you know, drivers for me. Uh, on the darker side, I have some, uh, jealous tendencies. Like when I was, when I was a kid and someone else had ice time, I wanted what they had. You know, I remember when we have to ask Lexi um, about that one too, or, (laughs) you know, you know, she is, uh, I just don't ask, you know, Hey, did anyone send you a drink tonight? I just, you know, let her have the the free drink at dinner or whatever. And yeah, I think I'm happy, uh, with what we got there, but you know, so like when I think of there's. It's, and it's unique to each person, but what drove you year in and year out and what led to the professionalism? Like What, what was the sausage-making process behind the consistency and the drive that I saw in your last year in the NHL?
1: Uh, I guess in a nutshell, it's the, it's the drive to get better. Um, and no matter what I do, um, I want to I improve every day try and get better at whatever it is and uh you know it's again back to that growth thing i think that's you know life is growth and uh as a as a hockey player that was my mentality is to try and get better every single day and and then you know if you do that you don't really have to worry about where you are or where you're going it kind of takes care of itself um obviously it takes a, a tremendous amount of discipline to follow that um Follow that through, but you know that was what you know became my mentality. And and uh, you know when you think about things like faceoffs, and you know you're talking about the details of the game, I, you know those are the things that you start to you know if you're improving the in incremental ways on a on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know those things try to add up. And I had always had the attitude that I wanted to be as complete a player as I could be. That was that was what I was going to bring to the team. Um, and, you know, the drive to win as a team and, and have success as a team and play your part in, you know, in, in, a, in the whole, um, playing your role, playing your part in the whole and helping bring that success is all comes down to these little things. And so that was kind of what, uh, you know, got me up and got me to, to work every day.
0: What was something you know, uh, versus the beginning of your career, you know, towards the prime, towards the end that you didn't have uh, naturally as a part of your game. So when I think, you know, growing up, for example, I was a very offensive uh, minded demon, there was no rush. I didn't want to be a part of, there was no rush. I didn't try to lead. Um, but like, as I came into all the way up, even to pro hockey, you know, cause I played that way, you know, through junior in the OHL, like I didn't skate backwards much. Like (laughs) I I struggled as, as a D man coming into pro hockey skating backwards at all. So it was like this big project of mine. I'm like, Oh my God. Like when I watch, you know, uh, Matt Niskanen skate backwards and the way, you know, Brooks Orpik and some of the, you know, better backwards skaters that were around, you know, when I was a young pro it was like a huge project of mine that now, you know, I think my, my gap skating, my shuffles, my ability to not cross over, my ability to cross over if I want to, it's at a much better clipped than it, than it was. Um, what is something specifically in your game uh, that really was a project years that you were proud of uh, that came around? Uh, it's a great question. I mean,
1: I don't know if there, I could single out one thing. I, I, I do think that, you know, I was an offensive player in college. Um, you know, I was first team All-American as an offensive player. Um, but I, you know, coming into the NHL, With the Rangers, you know, Eric Lindros was, you know, this was pre-salary cap. Eric Lindros was the fourth-line center uh, for the Rangers. And so if I was going to make that team, you know, I had to to do something right. And, uh, you know, it it wasn't going to be that they were going to rely on me for for scoring. And so, you know, in order to make my way and, you know, and find a, a role, on that team and in the league, um, I had to do other things. And I I ended up finding a role as a penalty killer. Um, you know, I think my, my speed and, you know, the reads I could make uh, on that helped me, you know, be a good penalty killer. And then, like I said, my mentality just wanted to be as complete a player as I can. So it's not like I, you know, said, okay, now I'm going to go work on my face offs. It just came naturally to me that, I wanted to be, you know, if you're going to take face-offs, you, you know, <laughs> you better be good at it. You better be. <laughs> yeah, 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 they you can better get anybody to stand in um, there. You got to win it. Yeah, you better be trying to improve um, or else what are you doing? Um, so, I, it, you know, it wasn't always like a looking at it in a specific way in terms of, okay, I'm going to work on this now. It was just kind of like, well, this is what you do. And, uh, and so
0: I just kind of made my way that way. Anyone that you particularly like watched on draws, technique-wise, that you tried to emulate?
1: Well, you know, it's funny, I, I actually give a lot of credit to not, not someone I ever played with in the NHL, but a guy that I played with in junior hockey um, really changed my perspective in a major way. It, I played for the Aurora Tigers north of Toronto in Tier 2 Junior A before I went to college. And I was just, you know, a kid on the junior team. This guy was a 20-year-old guy. He played in the league. He was unbelievable player, super smart player. Um, and, you know, I looked up to him, and and one day after practice, I just, you know, I asked him to help, you know, give me some thoughts on draws. And I was just, it was just a shocking moment for me because he was talking for, like, 20 minutes about... All these different perspectives on how he's thinking about the draw and what is what his opponent's doing and what his opponent's you know bread and butter is and what his bread and butter is and you know counteracting. I, I was like, I to that point I would just gone in there and tried to pick it clean and you know like what what else to do you know win you know? I guess yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and so th- it was it was eye opening in the sense that okay, wow, like th- this is the depth of thinking and, and focus and knowledge that this guy is bringing to bear on, on this part of the game. You know, there's a whole layer, many, many layers uh, to peel back on this onion that I've been unawares of. Uh, and so uh, Steve Giney is, is his name. And I don't, you know, I've mentioned him before in different interviews, but I hope he, uh, I hope he knows the impact he made on me there.
0: Do you have his number or anything? Like maybe we'll we'll have to to find him, send it. Come on, he's got, it's 2020. He's got to be on social media or something. We'll find him. When you look back on your career, highlight-wise, what are some things that come to mind? Well, um,
1: I guess chronologically, I I would say, you know, the first playoff run that I ever had with the Montreal Canadiens um in 2010 um you know I'd gotten traded there before the deadline shocker um and uh <laughs> you know I Spoiler alert it, I I grew up in Toronto so I'm you know I grew up a Leaf fan Doug Gilmore was my hero but I'm a hockey fan and and someone that you know, the history of the game is something that I grew up with and cherished. And so, you know, to, to walk into the Montreal Canadiens locker room for the first time and see the, you know, the quote from uh, Flanders Fields on the, you know, it's just, it's just jaw-dropping. And uh, to be a part of, you know, we made the playoffs on the last day by one point. And we came back from 3-1 down against the President's Trophy winners, uh, the Capitals in the first round. And we, you know... Beat the Penguins, you know Malkin and Crosby and company in the second round in Game Seven, um, and then you know Conference Finals. The city of Montreal was, you know, rioting in the streets. And we when we landed, you know, after upsetting these teams, you know, there, there was like it was like we were the Beatles. You know, they were banging on our car windows as we left the airport. It was it was a quite the experience. And so that was my first t- taste of the playoffs. I, I was a kid that just couldn't wait to have that experience obviously you're playing street hockey it's always game seven as a kid and so to play in the playoffs was something that I cherished and moving on uh the next year uh was right back in that situation with the Tampa Bay Lightning we you know first round came back from 3-1 down again against the Penguins to upset them uh and then swept the the Capitals um and Ended up losing to the Bruins uh, in Game Seven of the Conference Finals, one nothing, and obviously Boston went on to win the Cup that year. And that was a, you know, as close as I had got to that point. Um, an incredible group of teammates there in Tampa that I got really close with, and um, and then obviously, you know, the Rangers, uh, the teams that we had in New York, um, special special group there and and 2014 obviously coming back from taking some time away from the game and we, you know, we made it all the way to the finals and, um, you know, I I had a a role in in the conference finals uh, to to help us clinch that uh, memorable goal there that, that stands out as probably the biggest highlight of my career. So I guess, you know, I went in order chronologically, but I think those Ranger years were incredibly memorable
0: that canadians year was that when uh Jarl halak was just on fire yes exactly i, I remember that yeah. i remember that yeah it's hard it's it, those years that you were talking about the different playoff runs like i remember them because i was watching as a fan but i was still young enough that it was like you know i wasn't totally paying attention to any one team i just put whatever channel on and loved it you know so it's cool to hear you talk about how immersed you were and and you know being in Montreal. That's uh it is a special place to play somewhere. I always say when, you know, people ask where do you like to play on the road? I'm like, Montreal is pretty sick. Like it's yeah. just got a unique, unique field to it. Um, you know, I was debating on asking you, you know, about your leave, uh, from the game because there's gotta be, you know, tremendous, um, you know, uh, pain and, and, and difficulty. And I'm, and I'm sure it's something that, you know, a lot of people have the same debate, you know, do I talk to, do I bring this up or, or not? And I remember, uh, when you won the, uh, Masterton trophy, the, um, I just, I just thought like, man, how I remember watching how proud Dominic Moore, you, he, when I was watching, how proud he must be of getting through something like that. Um and you talk about in your speech that perseverance, you know, takes a team. And, you know, being as as team oriented as you always were, you know, how what do you remember during that time and what do you remember pulling from that experience? Um
1: Yeah, so you know, with, I her, think,
0: with uh, Katie at the time?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, when I think about that, um, I, I do think that more so than, than pride, it's more so grateful for, for all the people that helped you get through it. You know, you, you, can't, you can't get through something like that yourself. And uh, so there's so many people, obviously family, uh, but your are close friends. And then, of course, my teammates, uh, uh, when I came back, uh, all played a huge role in, in helping me um, get back and get through that. And so it's, it's, it's a gratefulness uh, and gratitude actually that, uh, that is the, you know, prevailing emotion there. Um, but it kind of gets back to, you know, earlier part of our conversation is that, you know, coming back, the mentality that I had and the approach I had to my game was, was an asset for me when I, when I did come back, uh, because that focus on improvement, uh was what got me through um if i had tried to think about end results and uh it would have been too daunting you know i was coming back i hadn't played in a year and a half uh you know so it was gonna take that incremental approach because i was nowhere near ready even when when the season started uh it took it took a while and uh took a lot of support from other people
0: well and it you know, we, we were talking earlier about not taking something that's that's negative or difficult in our life and just immediately turning it into a positive just to, you know, uh, wash it down. Um, but, you know, the the passing of, of Katie and what happened with your brother, you know, uh, Steve with the, you know, concussion and that, it leads to... One of the greatest joys, one of the things that I know from talking with you that you're most proud of, and that's where we started this conversation off was about Smash Fest. And I know it's been this um this beast that has grown exponentially. <laughs> like I couldn't believe the quality of product. like I actually in uh, knowing you know people like yourself and people that do uh, you know these really cool charitable functions, it was a goal of mine. You know, when I was younger, I was like, oh man, I want, I want to have a stable enough career that I can pick my head up and have like the attention and the desire for people wanting to work with me to launch uh, my own event, a, a mental health event someday. You know, that's, you know, something I, uh, you know, try to champion. And like the, I had the doors blown off my expectations when I walked in. Like I couldn't believe <laughs> the media involvement, the quality of the food. Like We had, we had like a Lululemon gift bag. We're, we were at the... You, put us up at the Ritz. Like, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't believe um, that a, a current NHL hockey player had the ability to put something on of this magnitude. And uh, so how did it start? And, you know, what are you most proud of year in, year out? Because it is uh, such an incredible event, you know, that raises money, um, you know, for two causes that are, you know, super close to your heart. Uh, but I, I know you work very hard at it, and uh, more importantly, I guess, everyone I've ever spoken with oozes about how much fun they had, so, you know, what a <laughs> gift you're able to give to, you know, everyone who's able, able to attend.
1: Yeah, well, so that's something that I am proud of, is that uh, when I hear players and, and people come away from the event talking about how it was just so much fun, you know, the the, the best night of the summer, and You know the best charity event they've been to you know we we hear people kind of relay their feedback to us that way that's something that i'm very grateful and proud of and uh again it it, i want to give credit i mentioned eric epstein earlier Mm -hmm. um you know devin smith is another guy at the nhlpa that very early on i went to the nhlpa to uh to ask for their support in this project and um you know we didn't know what to expect when we first started you know at the time ping pong events weren't quite as a thing yet but like they are now um my thought was simply that hey there was a ping pong table in every NHL locker room i personally loved to play and you know had battled marty saint louis for hours before and after practice and i thought it would make a, a fantastic charity event uh social it's interactive anyone can do it uh really showcase the players personalities um and so we weren't sure how it would be received, but my whole focus was on, okay, whatever whatever we do, I want to make sure that people come away saying that they had a blast. And so year one, that was a simple goal. If everyone comes away saying that they had a blast, then we'll have succeeded and uh, we'll have room to grow. And again, more sponsors came on board. Um, you know, more collaborators got involved. Obviously players coming out year after year in, in you know, huge numbers, um, incredibly grateful for that. So, uh, obviously it, it, it's, uh, it's something that has taken on a life of its own the last few years. And, uh, I'm hoping that we can continue to grow it, um, going
0: forward. Yeah. So it, uh, I remember when I was there, I ran into a juggernaut in, uh, in Jeff Skinner, who's a, Really strong player. <laughs> and he had, who was on this guy's team? Like, how did he find? They're like yeah, bona fide so professional ping pong players out of, uh, I understand there's like some tournament at uh, Lou Lemon in Toronto or something.
1: So, so there's, you know, for those who don't know, Smash has two parts to it. One is a pro am doubles tournament where, you know, let's say there's, so there's an NHL team captain on every team and so connor carrick will play with two guests against jeff skinner and his two guests in in a doubles you know three best of three sets um and then obviously the second part of the event is where it's a singles tournament with just the nhl players so uh you're talking about the doubles part where you face skins and skins uh for those who don't know also is in the summer he spends three nights a week at a local ping pong club training for Smash Fest and uh he he brought a ringer from from the club uh to be on his team in the pro am cuz he he wanted to take the title down so you ran into
0: uh, a recruited table the guy was athlete. a bonafide gm yeah. of his club like he there were, <laughs> I was I was showing up you know uh, I think I decided I was able to come like 2 weeks prior and you know just happy I actually had some good players on my team so I can't I can't uh you know, complain, but I ran into a, this was, this was calculated, you know, skins, <laughs> skins knew he had put, he had done his homework. I felt I, I was, I was underprepared. What's fun you know, is when that I look s- back on.
1: some of our, our sponsors now, they, you know, Oxford property group is a big commercial real estate company in Toronto. They've been a, a tremendous supporter. They, what they do now is they hold their own uh, intercompany tournament to see who's going to be on their, their team in the pro-am. And so uh, they won the event last year, and they you know they had a guy from uh you know India, I think, or somewhere that uh, had had been a competitive table tennis player as a as a kid uh, nationally ranked and whatnot and so you know he took his suit jacket off and uh, and, 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 all and of a table
0: tennis for people that don't know is very, very much like golf where there's a lot of amateurs. Hey, how are you at ping pong? I'm pretty good. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. And then all of a sudden you play with a tour player someone that, you know, plays competitive and you're like, I'm totally out to lunch <laughs> on what I
1: thought my amateur ability was. Yeah. Well, obviously it's, it's all, you know, 90% fun, 10% competitiveness at Smashfest, but, uh, I have had guys, I, I know, for the singles part, Aaron Eckblad came one year and, you know, he said, yeah, I play a lot. I'm, you know, pretty solid and looking forward to it. And, and when he showed up, he saw Patrick Eves with his little carrying case with his paddle and, you know, Stefan Veilleux with his, you know, headband and wristbands on. And, and he was Stéphane like, "Stefan I might yeah, be a little bit out of my league here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You're in the deep end. Um, <laughs> And, uh, Stephon, Veilleux, yeah, I remember him. Uh, I used to go, my agency when I was growing up was, uh, Octagon and they would have these camps out in Minnesota and he would be buzzing around out there in these five on five scrimmages pre training camp. But some of the NHLers were there, you know, to get in shape and Steph very much tried to arrive in shape and was ready to, you know, flex <laughs> that. So I just remember him being ultra competitive. I was like 15 at the time. Um, yeah, know, we just didn't want to piss him ultra off ultra
1: competitive is, is a good word for him and and uh you know one of the years he actually got up and he had been the two-time defending champion he, he got beat by patrick eves and, and there was a bit of an altercation in the finals that uh rajiv uh sharma from killer spin was our tournament official had to kind of step in and uh Quell the disturbance.
0: Full, full McIntyre. Uh, McIntyre, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Ma- exactly. McIntyre, sorry, McEn- a bit of a McEnroe, I'm thinking of Steve McIntyre. Yeah, McIntyre. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. My producer Colin's gonna be pissed. I uh, screwed that up. The name. Um, Can you edit
1: that out, can't you? Um,
0: yeah. Well, now we might leave it because I think it's charming. Yeah, we might. We might just leave it. But uh, you know, so your hunger for growth, so obvious in your own career. Um, so obvious in how you've taken care of this baby that is Smashfest. So what's COVID? We're still recording, you know, under, you know, Banana Land's uh, circumstance, wild times out here for public events. And so how are you going to uh, carry on the growth of Smash Fest moving forward here uh, for the foreseeable, you know, hopefully short-term future, but um, who knows? I'm, I'm Curious of how you're going to continue to launch it?
1: Yeah, so uh, you know we're coming up at the you know the the end of July, which is normally when Smashfest is held in, in Toronto. and uh, we had to cancel it a few weeks ago officially. Um, it was kind of expected in a long time coming, but we officially announced that. And uh, when we announced that, we also announced the uh, premiere of our our unveiled by Smash Fest uh, TV series, which was something that just kind of came together organically. Um, you know, one of the sponsors that, you know, uh, we gave a ping pong table to a few years ago, um, as a thank you, they, you know, I had seen, you know, a little, a little while later that they had had a graffiti artist paint the table. Um, and when I saw it, I was blown away with how cool it was. And, um, and then I, you know, I kind of, put two and two together about, you know, that would be a pretty cool concept for for a show with, you know, if you interviewed a player and, and talked to him about his passions and inspirations and, and had him think about what he would design on his own table and then have the graffiti artist uh, bring that vision to life. And, uh, and so, you know, it's something I had in my mind for a few years now, but then obviously when the quarantine started, production barriers got very low. Uh, and so I, I saw it as an opportunity um, you know obviously the players are idle and uh and so I thought i'd just start on it and see where it went and um, was able to get the n h l and involved as a partner and they were you know fantastic with uh bringing their resources to bear to to help me put it together and uh so we did episode one that that featured uh our our friend and teammate mitch marner uh, as well as uh brad Marchand, who's uh obviously a, a polarizing figure but he's a very interesting personality and and having played with him you know he's he's a charismatic and great guy so um that made for a great episode 1 and then we just we just did episode 2 with uh uh your teammate Jack Hughes and his brother Quinn mm-hmm. and uh, okay. uh former teammate of mine Victor Hedman and so uh for those who haven't seen it it's uh unveiled and it's on the NHL's uh Social media channels, Facebook and YouTube.
0: What what is on? uh, What did Jack contribute? I'm curious to the what was part of his. Jack had a ton of interest. He
1: was you know so he's he's really into fashion. So uh, he wanted a a set of like uh, cool sneakers. um, Very cool on there, and we we draped the sneakers over uh, uh, the Statue of Liberty. You know he's in Jersey City now, and and, uh, the New York skyline is something that he looks out on uh, from his place and. It came out really awesome, and he had a ton of interest that he, he uh, and passions that he wanted to to see as part of his. And they split it. You know, Jack did the left side of the table, and Quinn did the right. And so they're 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 avid uh ping pong players in their basement at home uh, against each other, and their little uh, brother Luke as well. So uh, they're gonna have that table to battle on uh in the basement.
0: That's sick. I didn't I didn't know that uh, Jack was involved with that. That's cool. Um, you said it there was sneakers and I, I want to stay on this, this hunger for growth topic, but I got a text, uh, when, when quarantine was really locked down, you know, the, the world was very much on pause. All these, you know, players you mentioned were very idle. I was one of them. And you texted me and said, you know, Hey Connor, what's up? What are you doing next? Uh, whatever it was Tuesday. Uh, and you offered this class you know, via the Harvard School of Business, Anita Albersay, um offered up some of her time to do this like collaborative uh, case study weekly class uh, featuring there were some NHLers on there and there were some pro tennis players, which I know you are, you know, a huge tennis fan. What was, how did you make that happen? Um, who, whose idea was that and, and who had to pull what weight?
1: Yeah, so uh, basically, you know, when the quarantine started, um, as someone that recently retired um, you know as the quarantine went on I was thinking about guys like yourself and and guys around the league that were kind of at home idle um, not really even able to skate or you know work out and and thinking about how they must be kind of like feeling what retirement is like and and it probably isn't pretty you know for for guys that haven't thought about it yet and so because it was something that's fresh for me, I I thought, well, given that they're idle, maybe this is a good time to expose guys to some of the resources out there that can help them prepare uh, for the next phase of life. And, you know, I've been fortunate uh, in in my time to, to have these resources available and the education um, that I was able to have in college. And so I thought it would be great to be able to share some of that. And so, um, as you mentioned, I'm a big, tennis fan and I have a lot of friends in the game uh, in that sport and I I talked to a friend of mine who also recently retired and we've kind of thought about this plan of putting together uh, some virtual classes um, for for the idle athletes and um, we approached one of the Harvard Business School professors uh, to see whether who teaches a sports and entertainment business class to see if she would be willing to um, to do this free um and you mentioned anita she was uh super enthusiastic and positive about it right from the get-go and so literally two weeks later she she said you know this is case study number one and it's about lebron james and spread the word so um that was kind of how it came together it was a very organic thing and you know we ended up having i think over 60 guys on uh, or no not just guys but um athletes from all different sports, male and female on the first, first case. And we ended up doing three of them before kind of, uh, people were getting back to training and skating and things like that. And, uh, I think, I think it went really well.
0: I I think so too. I thought the two, the two cases I was a part of, um, was the LeBron James case in which he, it was laid out for him, the different video gaming options earlier in his career. And I thought it was very cool. Just you know, cause I, am a basketball fan, but not, you know, over the top, uh, you know, in terms of my ability to follow uh week in, week out, especially in season. And, uh, I didn't know about the AGF like, uh, terminology amongst, uh, the Nike elite. That was super cool. They were talking about, uh, LeBron James, he was a signed Nike athlete at the time. And they had, you know, given him a bunch of money. I think it was like 90 million at that point earlier in his career. And, uh, you know, the guy that was, you know, kind of on the hook for dishing out the ninety million. You know, there was some snickering, like in the hallways, and that when he would he would walk around Nike headquarters until uh, the Game Five series. Who was it? Against, uh, that was against Detroit, the Detroit Pistons, right? Where he just went so. off and had what was it, yeah. twenty-two points in the last. Um, and then actually, the other the other case study was called Sneakers, which I thought this one was particularly uh, cool for me. I sent it to Colin, my producer, even. And said, Colin, like how can we alert, how can we apply some of the lessons here from you know this gamified nature? It was it discussed like this uh, this application that Nike had that incentivized and made it fun for their most avid, you know, die-hard fans to engage further with the brand, to have access uh, to earn access in a way that um you know, no one else had, if if you weren't aware of the app and and willing to pay attention and, and, you know, dive into the brand. And it was super cool, you know, just to think of. And I know I, I love education. I identified, you know, all growing up, I loved going to school. Uh, I didn't, you know, finish college. And and it was something that, you know, I really identified as someone who I enjoyed being a lifelong learner. Um, And it was, part of the transition into wanting to do this podcast was I don't want to put that part of me on hold all the way until retirement. Because then I think it's just so hard. There's so much inertia. There's so much life change um, on going there. And starting this podcast actually helped me, I felt, in the class. Because you know how hockey culture is. Like, you know, Anita would ask a question. Hey, what do we think about... You know, LeBron's opportunity to, you know, sign a video game uh, deal with EA Sports versus 2K and like, you know, no one's kind of raising their hand. And the tennis <laughs> the tennis players, all with a very, you know, individual based nature to their sport, were a little bit more comfortable and in, in commenting and come up with their thoughts. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well... If you want to think, Connor, that you're worthwhile to listen to, like if if you want to be comfortable with judgment, like you're going to have to be as a successful, hopefully successful podcast host, you got to raise your hand, dude. Like you got to, especially in front of your peers, like you don't think game one, you know, someone's going to come back and and chirp the podcast mid game. It's coming. And I was like, don't bury your head in the sand and pretend that's not coming. So And you'll
1: recall that I gave you props for, you know, getting in there and, and making your yourself heard in the class. And, you know, the the case method relies on participation. It relies on people talking through, sharing their perspectives on the case. It's a very practical way to learn about business. And um, without without people putting in their two cents, it, it can't progress at all. And so I was I was proud of you for stepping in and, and leading the, the charge on the hockey guys. And but the cool thing was that over the course of the, you know, the next few sessions, you know, by the last one, you know, there were seven or eight of the hockey guys, even though there was over 20 on, you know, that were involved, that they were all participating and getting involved and not afraid to share their views. And uh, part of it was the, you know, the comfort level of, of that. And also I think they were gaining confidence that, and uh, not being intimidated by it. And, and uh, it was awesome to see.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, another experience I think I, I drew from was much like yourself, socially, you know, I've been traded, you've been traded. Uh, it can be a lot, you know, especially when you're breaking into, into a new room, like feeling comfortable and accepted around your teammates is a, is a big part of playing well. And it was something that I realized, you know, early in the, the trading process, I guess, uh, when I exuded nervousness, when I was anxious socially, it made other people uncomfortable to be around me. Like I could, I could smell it. Uh, it just, it just made like this whole encounter hard for people. So I just like decided I'm like, you know what? Um, it was after the Dallas trade when I got traded in New Jersey is really when I figured it out, you know, cause Dallas was a little bit of an older room. Um, you know, historically strong team and, and, you know, a lot of guys from a, a lot of different backgrounds. So, I, you know, I was still a little nervous. And then when I got to Jersey, I'm like, you know what? I'm over it. Like I'm just gonna present who I am. They're gonna find out I'm weird eventually anyway. Like <laughs> this is no secret. Um, so we'll just you know, hey, what's up? This is where, this is how I am, and and uh, be yourself. I felt it's it. A, be myself. The yeah. Best
1: advice you can ever give.
0: Yeah, and I, I, uh, it was such a reward for me. Like I made friends so much faster post deadline. My first year there. Um, that even coming into the, the second season, like I was talking to, I think it was Kevin Rooney and, and Mackenzie Blackwood one day at lunch and they're like, Oh my God, this is only your first full year here. I feel like you've been here forever. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> that's but, great. uh, you know, it, it, pers- it, it was a little clunky at first, but the personal growth, I think, uh, you got to put the reps in and if it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable, that usually means you're on a good track. You know, like mm-hmm. the night I announced the podcast, I didn't even, uh, have it recorded yet. I'm like, I think I want to throw up. You know, I just, I just picture, you know, uh, Lou Lamarillo, who was always great to me, but I just picture him, you know, who does this kid, <laughs> you know, think he is kind of thing. I actually saw Lou was on, uh, Cam Jansen's podcast, oh, uh, really? recently. So, you know, maybe, maybe Lou's open to, uh, you know, a little well, bit more I, like open I mind said, to this stuff. I think during the,
1: I think during the quarantine, um, you know, there's no sports on TV. I think uh, the need for content was high. And, and I think you saw players that were, they're not kind of in the locker room setting. And so, you know, they started engaging with the fans um, in a pretty organic, natural way. And I think you started to see guys come out of their shell. I, I'm, I'm hoping that this is uh, a turning point for, for the game. Um, and I think everyone was supportive of, you know, the ways that guys express themselves throughout the quarantine. And so, uh, hopefully that'll continue.
0: Yeah. I was joking that there's going to be like a lot of, a lot of looking for quarters in the interviews after quarantine. Like, so Connor, please explain, uh, your TikTok choreography on, uh, you know, June 3rd. I'm like, um, no comment. <laughs> you know, there's gonna be a whole it's gonna be a whole lot of you know thumb twiddling uh in some of these interviews. But yeah, <laughs> just taking one game well, we were just trying to, you know, get the puck in deep, whatever. Um so a lot of a lot of this podcast, you know, we spent time about um you know what you've done and and what you're proud of in the past. And and you know, you certainly have so much to be proud of, uh, but you know, I know now with your wife Mary, you have a daughter now. Uh, what is next in your world? Like, what are you dreaming of next? How is retirement going? Uh, and somewhere in there, if you got any advice for you know us who know that that day is coming and you know pretend it isn't, um, you know, what thoughts <laughs> do you have?
1: Yeah, well, you know, hopefully there's many more years uh, for you in the league, and and like you like you said, you're you're you know, preparing for that by getting engaged in other things. And uh, I think that's awesome. Um, I, you know, some people don't know that I, you know, after my year in Toronto, um, my last year in the NHL, I went to play for Team Canada at the Spengler Cup at Christmas and then stayed to play in in Switzerland for the second half of that season. And uh, that was an incredible experience, I have to say. For, For anyone, guys that are, you know, Getting towards the end of their career and they're looking at their options, I would definitely encourage guys to consider playing abroad. It's 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 just an amazing chance to to experience a different culture and uh, obviously you don't you don't can't play the game forever. Um, you have a chance to continue to do that while enjoying travel and things like that. Uh, I would definitely advise guys to think about that. That end up in a situation similar to the one I was in. Um, yeah. And then since then, uh, kind of deliberately, uh, me and my wife decided to take some time to enjoy being at home with our, with our baby. It's a uh, uh, special time that you, I think you can't get back those first uh, yeah. half a year or whatever it is. And, and to be honest, the quarantine has been, uh, you know, tough for a lot of people, but you know, for us with the newborn, it's kind of been a good time to just mm-hmm. appreciate and cherish uh, those, those, those moments. And in terms of what next, I'm kind of sorting through and trying to figure out um you know what different paths uh, I might take but obviously Smash will still continue to be a major focus of mine and uh, we'll see what else
0: Well maybe maybe that question was a little big but cuz I'm really curious about your time in um Switzerland. I've joked about on the podcast even here we're like I am totally committed to just playing my offside and trying to hammer one-timers like in the German league or whatever. Like I I want to <laughs> play forward for a year or somewhere out there so you know in in terms of what you've learned in quarantine um, about you, your family, your wife, um, and your your time in Switzerland, just the the cultural differences, what are some things like even just in your home that you're trying to to bring up? So, like for example, I'm I'm struggling with it a little bit right now in that when I was sitting at home at the beginning of quarantine, there was no missing out. Everybody was chilling. There was there was nothing going on. Uh and I enjoyed the stillness because I'm, you know, can be a busy bee. I, you know, I'm I'm addicted at times to busy. If I've got an open slot, okay, I gotta call a friend and make sure I have something scheduled, or I gotta, you know, call this guy, call that guy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll I'll take great pride in how scheduled I am. And then, you know, during quarantine, I really enjoyed the flow of the day. You know, like yes, I, I still tended to some routine in the morning, would train, uh, but things were just a little slower, you know. And now there's a challenge to like, remember that I liked that. And to, you have to purposefully facilitate it now because normal is starting to come back and there's some elements of normal, you know, that I'm willing to reject that I, I'm willing to edit and cut, you know? So in terms of your, just the home life, um, you know, what are some things you learned over in Switzerland, you know, on the back end of, uh, the Spangler Spangler cup, um, and in and COVID times.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in um in Switzerland, you know, it's just a, a really amazing experience to live in in Europe, live in Zurich. I mean, we lived uh in the biggest city in Switzerland, uh ten minutes from the airport, uh, you know, it was cool to see the different league and the players there and uh, get a perspective on that. You know, I'd spent, you know, obviously uh fifteen years of professional hockey in, in in north america and uh, i think it was is really neat to see uh the professionals in the other leagues and what they're doing but also i have an appreciation for travel and for europe mm-hmm. and we got to you know and we had a day off you could go to italy for for 24 hours or uh you know after the season we went to spain and kind of toured around spain and you can't do you know it's a 30 minute flight you can't do that in north america yeah. it's a it's a commitment to go to europe so we we knew that life could was potentially changing uh when we got back with starting a family and so we wanted to embrace uh and and fully make the most of that opportunity which which we did so uh no regrets and and and, uh that was a great experience and then coming back for those who have kids they know that there's no schedule when it comes to newborns they they run your show um but You know, she's almost five months now, so she's starting to get into a little bit more of a routine. And in terms of advice for for quarantine, um, obviously everyone's situation is different. Um, You know, I'd say, you know, it's nice to have the the flexibility and freedom. Um, You know, some people are more self starters than others and can thrive in that environment. Uh, I think there should be a self awareness though, if that's you or not, and if it's not. Try to find ways to help yourself excel by adding some structure in some way. Um, you know, whatever that is. Um, and try to take advantage of the freedom and flexibility that, that you have in, in terms of pursuing new things or engaging in opportunities that you might not have otherwise.
0: Anyone you've particularly leaned on um, in that process? Like I know, you know, the Harvard alumni is a strong, you know, uh, background, um, you know, part of, uh, you know, your hockey career. I know Marty St. Louis was a friend that you said you went to war with, you know, in ping pong. What's he in now? He's in, he's in finance now of, of some, uh, so uh, he's,
1: he's mostly, uh, you know, coaching his kids in youth hockey. Um, he is involved in a, in a kind of a bit of a venture capital, uh, Mm. operation, but he mostly spends his time, uh, coaching youth hockey and he, he's, super, he loves it. Absolutely loves it. I think, you know, I have a lot of people that I rely on for, uh, friends and mentors that I rely on for guidance and advice. And I, um, I would encourage anyone that obviously is in that transition mode, um, to when in doubt, call someone and and get their thoughts. People really enjoy, uh, sharing their experience and their knowledge and are happy to, happy to give it. Um, and you just always learn a lot, um, by, by hearing a, a perspective that you might not have otherwise. So I've relied on, you know, a lot of people throughout, throughout this process and will continue to do that.
0: Yeah. Cause I think that's really what I was after partly when starting the podcast was like, I don't need to, you know, necessarily, uh, I'm not, I'm not looking for anything totally specific, whether, whether it was revenue or I, I definitely want to meet this person or that person, but I, I wanted to, I know there's a certain leverage as a current player of when you pick up the phone and call somebody, people are receptive to, they want to talk to a, a current NHL there's, there's cool stories to be had. Uh, there's a level of access there that, you know, you can provide as, as a friend. Um, and that was part of my goal was just to meet people and and talk with people who are doing things in the world that I want to do. Maybe not now, you know, but whether they're in the the business world, the wellness space, whatever I wanted to, uh, you know, gain some, some friends and, and make use of the attention that being a current player could, could have, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Obviously that's very smart thing to do. And, um, it broadens your horizons, it broadens your network and expands your you know your ideas of what's possible and what you might get into. Um, again, it doesn't mean that it's taking you away from your day job because you know you're still focused on that as your you know your primary activity, but um, it is giving you other things to think about, and you know for me that when I was playing having Smashfest and having my foundation to focus on was great. Like I, I was used to being a student athlete and, you know, having classes and then going to practice. And so it helped me actually to have other things, you know, because then I was fresh when I came back to yeah. the hockey versus if you just, you know, and this was something I talked about with Brad Marchand and, and our, uh, Smashfest unveiled. If you have other things that you're into, it helps you change the channel. Um, And if you're just thinking about hockey all day, every day, you're going to burn out and, you know, it's going to get to you. And especially in the high pressure environment that, uh, that we, that we live in um, high stakes environment. I think it's a helpful thing to have other pursuits as long as you maintain your primary focus on the task at hand.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Thanks, Dom. I, uh, I totally get it, man. Trying to practice sustainability it's it's a long season it's hard year in year out uh but you know congratulations like you did it and uh you have so much to be proud of in your career i know my career you know is better having you know the opportunity to play with you um you know learn a lot from you still do trying to steal you know an extra hour on a on a saturday morning and um you know of your time so i appreciate it but how can people find you and further support smash fest uh,
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I'm really proud of you. And I think it's awesome Mm -hmm. what you're doing, sharing, sharing this. uh, I hope it continues to grow. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think uh, smashfest.ca is where all things Smashfest live, uh, including our latest project with uh, with Unveiled. And um, yeah, I think uh, that's about it
0: for now. I got to get this podcast like Big and massive, so I guess so there's a market for my ping pong table because I'm already picturing it. Like you know, there's the there's a the microphone for for CC Pod, and then I've got the big Chemex on there with the pour over. Maybe a picture of like me and John Jeller from our days with the Leafs making it. <laughs> I'm, I'm now I got the creative juices flowing, but you know, admittedly, uh, I, I I it's I don't take it personally. You haven't asked me yet. I understand like point totals wise, and that Mitchy and. Marshawn. It's and I all guess about personality. Victor.
1: We're only two episodes in, so don't take it personally.
0: Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. It's all right. <laughs> and, and from everything I've heard, I, I'm, thanks, thanks for your time today. I'm going to bug you about um, connecting with John Michael Lyles because you're not the first guy uh, that has told me what an interesting oh, yeah, man. Uh, character he is. Like I'd love to talk with him.
1: He uses Eater, and then he cross references that with Yelp, and then he probably has a third website that he looks at pictures, you know, of the food on the plates, and so when you know exactly what we're getting into when we step into the restaurant.
0: I'm gonna, I'll have to call you before I uh, podcast with him when when we get to and and you know have you do some of my homework for me. What I gotta <laughs> ask him about any uh, any tennis players you think would be good on here? Cause I I love we've had we've had a, a, a rower on Marnie McBean. We had an ultra marathoner, uh, and Zach Bitter. That was, you know, two really cool podcasts. I'm trying to build out, you know, and, and Colin, we joked about it when we were trying to set this podcast up. He's a huge, uh, tennis fan. So I, at some point I would love to, uh, and just such an individual sport, right? Like it's such an artful sport. Um, there's such a medical uh, component. I think one of my favorite sport books of all time was, uh, Andre Agassi's book open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Mm -hmm. fascinating reads i think there's some super cool stories you know uh over in that sport but anyone you think would be a good fit
1: yeah there's a few guys that could probably be a really good fit i mean obviously i think you know given the nature of the things that you want to share and and uh the knowledge that you want to uh, put out there there's a few guys that i think fit into that that mold uh marty fish is a guy that um you know, dealt with a lot of anxiety in his career and, and actually kind of came out with it, uh, which was a big and, and brave step on his part. Um, he recently won the, uh, the Lake Tahoe celebrity golf event, which oh, wow. there's some serious players there. Um, so he would be a really interesting guy to talk to. I, I actually personally don't know him, but I could probably help, uh, get in touch with him. I think he would be a good yeah, fit. That'd be cool,
0: Dominic, thanks for your time, man. Uh, have a great rest of your day. This was awesome. I think uh, your story will help a lot of people, pre- definitely young players, young professionals across, you know, any, any industry. Um, you know, good for you. And and uh, don't be a stranger, man. Look forward to checking in with you soon. And and uh, all the best with the the Unveiled series. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks uh, for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. Thanks for the tire pump too. I'll have to. Uh, we'll have to clip that up about how. <laughs> this is all you know anti uh not anti but you know kind of in contrast to hockey culture because it's it is changing I, I definitely i felt it i saw it during quarantine a lot of people were still at home and you know couldn't think about uh you know where to be in the two one two tomorrow night and uh you know were able to pick their head up and and express <laughs> where, themselves some other way, so it's been fun be in the two-one-two, one two, <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> which is important i i don't. I think about where I need to be in the two-on-two a lot and sometimes too much where I, when I wasn't where I needed to be. And then this is that resiliency thing we're trying to (laughs) discuss and facilitate. But as you said,
1: you know, the the best teams, uh, you know, are the ones where people can, everyone can be themselves and fit together within that. So I think that's, uh, I think it is changing and uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes.
0: That's it. Thanks, man. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you, Dom, for an hour of your time uh, this Saturday morning here as we record. There were three points that really stood out for me with Dominic, definitely when I played with him, but it's, it's really cool and clear when you're able to ask someone at length uh, that you're able to during a podcast uh, in terms of how he built this, how he built his career, how he built himself. And one was when he discusses mindset, uh, growth mindset. He... Particularly when he took his leave of absence from the game of hockey, I can only imagine how daunting that process was, how emotional uh, the time off, you know, really was for him in, in the middle of his career. But he discusses at length about how to trust the process and make digestible goals uh, out of something that is so daunting, and that was the word that he used when he discussed his his comeback. And I think there was also, he didn't use this word, but it was something that I took from it, whereas he had great grace with himself, it sounds, in that process. He understood that even as training camp was coming around, even as the regular season was starting, there was going to be a growth process. I think he was respectful of just how hard it is to be your best day in, day out, when you have access to a normal schedule and you have access uh, to unlimited ice time and, and just staying in the routine of being an everyday NHL player. And uh, you can't totally replicate it uh, without having access to that. So I think the grace that he had with himself in that process is something that, you know, I, I want to implement into my own life. He also had a quote that you want adversity if you want to grow as a person. And I said that, I think it was in the Kevin Rooney podcast where he said something along the lines of, adversity is an opportunity to earn respect and it was cool to hear uh, Dom echo that because he is a player that has earned every single game you know he uh, he had some big years in NHL I think 41 points was his uh, career year so he wasn't a player you know that was just able to score his way through the league he had to grind every step of the way and then he of course had you know some personal uh, life circumstances that they made things massively more challenging and this league is quick to uh, forget about players it's quick to move on and find ways uh, to improve its lineup that's the nature of pro sport that's the nature of the national hockey league. that's what makes it so competitive and, and such a special place to play uh, but I thought that that particular quote was interesting you know out of, out of Dom and then finally one of the things that didn't necessarily come up in our conversation today, but that I witnessed in going to war with Dom uh, day in, day out as a teammate, was he is an everydayer. He would work hard all the time. He had great personal discipline, uh, clearly in his, in his personal life, to be able to show up with energy uh, every day. But he also had a very strong uh, mental game where no matter what was going on, you know where he was in the lineup, if he was in, if he was out, He was consistent. The Toronto Maple Leafs always knew what they were getting out of him. These other clubs that, you know, had looked to acquire him at trade deadlines knew what they were getting out of him uh, moving into uh, different playoff series that they were and, uh, you know, kind of strengthening their team any way they could. Dominic Moore is a consummate professional. He is uh, detailed beyond belief. I think there are so many lessons and, and just keys to success that, you know, he really gifted us today. I got to witness it as a teammate, but I was not along the ride for his entire career. So it was really special to share our time together and and really catch up with an old teammate. Dom, thanks again for setting up those Harvard Business School classes. Those were a great learning tool for me earlier uh, during COVID. And uh, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. To all our uh, listeners, thank you for your time today. Thank you for spending uh, an hour with Dominic and I. Please feel free to like, subscribe, share, send to a teammate, uh, mom, dad, or a friend of yours that you think could benefit uh, from listening to you know, Dominic's story. And I look forward to doing this all again next week as we all join each other together on our journey to be a more curious competitor.